Good evening, people of Technicolor, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we're kicking off Kit's Dance Like No One's Watching Triple Feature with 1948's The Red Shoes. <laughs> you, directed named by... my, you named my triple? <laughs> <laughs> um, directed by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Well, so what would you want to call it, Kit? I was going to call it ballet, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I actually don't even to... remember mm-hmm. what the other two films are. So. It is... Um... Billy Elliot, and then uh, Matthew Bourne, Swan Lake. Okay. Okay, cool. I was supposed to read the American the American <clears throat> Friend Institute Presents thingy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Go Do ahead. it. Kit, tell okay. us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute. The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, A Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it. The American Friend Institute does not recognize the existence of any of the Star Wars films. On an unrelated note, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is the 61st best movie ever made. I agree. It is. I know you do. That's (laughs) why it is. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's good to see you both again. We've taken some time off. Mm -hmm. Getting the the gang back together. Or the Mm -hmm. bang back together. The banging back together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Kit, tell us what, uh, prompted you to pick this film or what made you want to do this triple feature? Um, I would say primarily two things. One was that I believe, Mike, you had never seen this? Correct. Andrew, had you seen it? Nope. Okay. That both of you supposed movie boys had never seen this (laughs) great, amazing movie. Um, and then also... (laughs) Really wanting to make you watch Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake. Um, and then Billy Elliot as a connective tissue, because we do actually, or at least I, bring that movie up a lot. And I know Andrew and I really like Jamie Bell and, you know, I think stemming from that movie. And it's just like a good movie that doesn't get um, doesn't get brought up a lot. It's kind of it's a little bit forgotten, I think, um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. very good. Um, and I'm excited to watch it again. And it has my favorite, probably my favorite, or at least the most moving end to a movie that I've ever seen. And also, I love ballet a lot. I am not an expert. I'm probably like in the realm of people who enjoy ballet, quite a plebe. But I see the ballet a lot, or I did when that was a thing that was happening. Um, and I love sitting around on YouTube and watching ballet and watching documentaries about ballet and listening to ballets and all that stuff. So um, I was very uh, excited to make other people watch <laughs> a lot of ballet. Have you seen Have you seen White Nights? Yes. I saw it a long time ago and kind of forgot it existed. Mm-hmm. And now I want to watch it again because like you brought it up in relation to something else on this podcast recently we were probably talking about ballet and like i know i know white knights because it's like my grandma's favorite movie right yes she's like i know it's bad but i love it 
<laughs> White Knights is this movie with Gregory Hines and uh, and Mikhail Baryshnikov as <laughs> I don't know ballet dudes. It's like a Cold War ballet movie. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, uh, it's I think it's kind of famously not good, but seems I've never to heard have of it. Seems from the director following. from the director of Ray and Dolores Claiborne. Yep, which yeah, is Taylor one of my Hackford. favorite facts. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. I just watched something with Gregory Hines in it the other day, but I can't remember what it was. He's great. You don't see him pop up that often. Yeah. Well, he's dead. <sighs> That's probably if you, why. If you saw Gregory Hines pop up pop up now, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be in trouble, buddy. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to look it up while we're on the subject. But uh, talk amongst yourselves. Look up what? what Gregor, whether yeah. Gregory Hines is dead? <laughs> whether, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've got my list. Oh, I think he was in Wolfen. I watched Wolfen. Now, are you saying Wolfen or Wolfen? Yes. I, well, I say Woof. That's his okay. Name. But right. again, fun of me. again, do you do you mean Woof or Wolf? Wolfen. There we go. Just making <laughs> sure. Um, although Wolfen sounds like more like a verb. Well, you don't have to say it like a weirdo. You can just say Wolfen. Wolfen. Yeah. You know, is that a great title for a wolfen. film or a terrible one? Because it does. Even if you say it correctly. It's I, that's yeah. weird. I have a theory. Wolfen. It sounds like a breakdancing movie. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's Wolf E N, not a great title. If it's Wolf I N apostrophe, apostrophe, now you're cooking. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a, another Whitley Strieber joint um, or Striber, whatever. Remind me who that is. He was the guy that did Communion. He wrote. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, okay. Nice, so. nice. Oh yes, 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 yes. But yeah, Wolf wasn't that good. What else did I watch recently? <laughs> I watched. I've been watching a lot of Rosanna Arquette films. Very nice. But anyways, red shoes. <laughs> red shoes. We got. Let's get our dancing shoes on and talk about red shoes. I'm ready, dude. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I really didn't have a lot of notes because it's so like you don't want to look away from the movie at any point. And so yes. I just didn't take any notes. You really so. don't. And I was telling Andrew before you joined, before you deigned to show up, that <laughs> I I had Three to minutes work. late. For <laughs> I had to work while watching this and it was like utter torture because you really don't want to look away from the screen yeah. um, mm-hmm. while you're watching this. Um, I think I think too that the movie becomes even more visually engrossing as it continues because yes. i feel like i feel like the first third of the movie feels very i don't know that's like kind of grounded and sort of i don't know mm-hmm. there's something very typical about it and then as mm. soon as we're i'm not sure what the sh- maybe the i think maybe the point where i started to really become engrossed in the filmmaking is i don't remember which one there's one wide shot of something happening where there's just like so much um so f- i guess let me just start the the, the movies does uh, talks a lot about uh creative process like visually mm-hmm. and i think a lot of like that's something that i think movies have a trouble have trouble with a lot is yeah. is getting that across in a way that oh, yes. feels real to me unless it's Um, movies (laughs) yeah unless it's a movie about movies exactly yeah very masturbatory but um this this movie although it doesn't really get too far into the weeds on things um which i kind of wish there was like some way to make a movie that got like really far into the weeds on some sort of artistic process but that Mm -hmm. wasn't like boring anyway 
I digress. Um, but this movie, there's a, there's a scene somewhere maybe before the midpoint where um, it's some sort of creative like meeting or or like session where they where the the people who are in charge of whatever production they're working on um, are all in a room together, and you I think I think maybe what is this Craster? Uh, that the the composer guy comes in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he starts playing something for them and and there's just so much happening yeah in terms of like the way people are moving around the room sort of in their own heads you can kind of see them all sort of engaging with what is happening in the center of the frame in their own way you know the the choreographer guy kind of starts dancing a little yeah. bit and you can tell that he's like working shit out in his head um so there's just there's so much it's just a wide shot I think, but there's so much choreography happening um, that it gives you a really good sense of, um, you know that w- when you're in kind of the thick of it creatively when and you I know you know this but like when you're in a room full of people and you're trying to like crack something you know what I mean yeah. and it's like mm-hmm. you're engaging with each other but you're also engaging with yourself yeah um I just felt and there's and there's no like. There's no words for what's happening and there's no mm-hmm. like there's no like uh vocal descriptions of like stuff. It's just like you get a sense of a type of person and their role. It, it reminded me a lot of all that jazz. Those yes. those yeah. big wide scenes of where you're like, how could this have been choreographed for a movie it really feels like they just turned a camera on or like an audition space or a rehearsal space mm-hmm. and it's so exciting and i Definitely. also agree agree with your point that it surprised me a little bit on this watch the film opens in a pretty like i think visually arresting way because it's all those people crowding into the theater which like made me sad because we haven't <laughs> been doing that in so long but it's a very like chaotic insane energetic feel but the first like hour of the movie is for Pal and Pressburger, like very normal. Like it looks incredible. The co- the Technicolor is obviously amazing, um, but it's it's almost like you're watching a normal movie. <laughs> um, and then once more of the dancing happens, like I think for me, maybe the cue of like, oh shit's getting real was her uh, swan her doing Swan Lake at the Mercury when she's spinning. And it's just like hitting, stopping on certain people in the audience, and she because she's looking for Lemontov or something. Um, and then obviously with the with the midpoint, you know, Red Shoes Ballet, it's just like holy shit. And from that <laughs> yeah. point on, things are pretty uh, pretty wild. Um, yeah, but yeah. I was definitely thinking a lot about all that jazz, and then obviously Black Swan is almost a remake of <laughs> of this film in a way there's um, this there's so many movies that pull from this i mean that's yes. what's so, so that cool was... about watching one of these movies kind of after you've seen everything else you know i mean maybe not the best way to like educate yourself but just to like kind of trace your own sort of f- mm-hmm. film knowledge history through you know everything you've seen and be like oh wow there's i mean just while watching it, I thought of uh, Damien Chazelle's movies, Whiplash and La La Land. Are oh, both, for sure. Yeah. I thought of Whiplash a lot. They pull, They both pull so heavily from this. Well, uh, there's that famous whip pan back and forth in La La Land. Yep, absolutely. Scorsese- well, he does that in Whiplash, too. Yep. Right. And Scorsese borrowed that for Raging Bull, specifically. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually another one of my few notes is that it was almost distracting to watch this movie with having seen as many other movies as we've seen. Like, I I was regularly pulled out of the movie, not because it wasn't cool, but just because, like, I was like, oh, like, that's from this, that's from this. And, like, one of the only things I thought of, one of the only other, I think, films, or t- there were some TV shows even, uh, that came before this was Fantasia. Almost every yes. other movie I thought of came after. Yes. Uh, and... So yeah, and even like um there's the part where there that huge ballet scene in the middle mm-hmm. which is obvious I think like kind of the reason for the movie. Right. Um but uh there was even one little snip where there's kind of like it's kind of like there's like a carnival um like a street carnival maybe I don't know, I don't know exactly what it was, but it's kind of at a, a, a tilted angle mm-hmm. and it looked exactly like something from Batman 66. <laughs> Mike, um, I was thinking so I that's so funny cuz I watched Again, Patrick Willems did a video about Batman the movie, which made me go, holy, Lee and I were laughing our fucking asses off at that. And we're like, we got to watch this movie. I'm going to like make a triple out of it or suggest that we do it at our like backyard viewings or something because it was Mm -hmm. everything they showed was so funny. And then because I watched that recently, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is totally Batman. Yeah. The colors and and the angles and how crazy like the editing is completely. Yeah. And along with just dozens of other films, but like even even a TV show like that, I was just like, oh, like that Lee- mu- they must have seen that and really like wanted to do some kind of variation on that, or seen Red Shoes and wanted to do some kind of variation on this. Lee but. looking at the the um, shopkeep, the guy who makes the shoes, cobbler, I suppose. Um, mm. He's like, oh, there's like David Lynch's whole thing, um, and then I was thinking, cabaret. Wait, how, how do you mean? Or how do he think- mean? I think just like a giant red curtain and then just like a super fucking weird guy doing stuff that yeah. doesn't. And then, yeah, I thought like Joel Grey and Cabaret and then other things in Cabaret as well. Um, just being they're kind the kind of like grotesqueness um, that they're willing to give you in this movie, mm. although not as grotesque as the original fairy tale. One side fact is that um, when people have talked to i think probably all the filmmakers about how depressing the end is but in the original fairy tale a woodcutter chops off her feet right um and the feet continue the her disembodied feet continue to dance in front of her for like until she dies basically well and the, the summary i read said that she prays for forgiveness because uh, the whole issue had been that she'd worn these shoes to church and right. stuff like that. She prays for forgiveness until her heart explodes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then she goes to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely a different ending. I was actually, I was, uh, for the ending of the film, uh, I was like, oh, wow, they killed her. Like, she's dead. Because it looked mm-hmm. like for a minute, like, she was gone. No, no, yeah. no. They didn't. She No, she comes back, doesn't she? She moves she's, and she kind of hugs him. I'm very confused. She's going to die. She does. I think, die? She's, I think she's gonna. I think the understanding is she's gonna oh, die. But maybe, die, okay. maybe the ambiguity is well, for for someone like her. Is there any difference between dying and not being able to dance anymore? That's well, that's, yeah, that's true, true too. But like I, because I was reading, uh, I think Roger Ebert's review, and it got to the end, and he was like talking about how she died, and I'm like, she did. I didn't see her. I saw. I mean, to be fair, she did throw herself off of a ledge right. <laughs> yeah. in front of a train oh. and it when they sh- I wanna, 
when they show say something when, okay when they just when they show that shot of him running towards the train i'm like yeah bro it's over man yeah, yeah. you, you don't want to see that <laughs> So when that happened, I thought this is the second film Kit has had us watch where somebody leaps from a great height onto a moving train and does not immediately die. Although she apparently fell to the tracks more than to the train. The Lone Ranger. He jumps oh, off yeah. of like a huge bridge onto a moving train, lands on a bed of coal. He's, and he's like, oh, that coal broke my, my fall. Um, um, I think she dies because that's what happens in the ballet. Yeah. I mean, I could totally it's see it, but it. It was like, I thought she was dead. She was laying there. She was covered in blood. And he goes up and he embraces her. And then she moves her arm. And I think, I don't remember if she says, I honestly don't remember if she says anything to him or not. She does. I just watched this last night. She tells him to take okay. off the shoes. Okay. So, yeah. So, maybe she does die after that. But I wasn't, I was not It sure doesn't, it does not, the movie does not end on her dying. But it's certainly possible that her getting run over by a right. fucking train. <laughs> after jumping. In, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, in fact, kill her in the end. Yeah. Um, why, why does he... Why does he kiss her feet? That's the last thing that happens. Because in the movie. that's the th- that's the thing. That's what I love. So a lot of people talk about this movie as being about, you know, the pursuit of your art or the choice between art and life, which it obviously is about that. But the fact that she is a woman and a ballet dancer and torn between these two men, I personally think. Like, there's, there's this speech that he gives when they're in, I think they're in, like, a wagon or something. They're, like, laying together on the Mediterranean. And he gives that speech about how when he's an old man, he hopes that some pretty young thing will ask him when he was the happiest. And he'll say it was when he was with her, with, with, the, with the, famous, the famous dancer, Vicky, what's her name? page uh, when she was very young and before she was like spoiled or she was unspoiled or something both he and lemontov treat her like their possessions um and what's a what's a um so i think he kisses her feet because that was her value to him um even though obviously they had their married life together where she where she wasn't dancing and things seemed to have been going okay i think they really loved each other but i do think there's a way in which you know, maybe it's a little bit like what we were talking about with uh, Powell and Schoonmacher, where it's like, <laughs> do they like anything about each other beyond the fact that they're both movie geniuses? Like, it's yeah. a little it's a little strange. Um, but I think what's re- what's remarkable about this movie to me is a lot of people say that Lemontov is based on Diaghilev, the founder of the Ballet Russe, um, who fired um, his like great quote-unquote discovery uh Nijinsky who was a male um 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 um, the the star uh, the male star of the ballet russe he fired him and Romola de Polsky who was the prima ballerina of the ballet russe because they got married but what was shocking to me watching this now is that this like winter or something I watched a documentary um about Suzanne Farrell and George Balanchine and Suzanne Farrell, like as Balanchine did, he just had like a string of, you know, cause you're viable as a ballet dancer for a short amount of time, typically. And he just had a string of muses who, you know, one would turn 25 and then he'd go to the next, you know, 17 year old or whatever. 
And they began an affair, and this documentary is interviews with her, and she has, like, particular views on it, and then you as a viewer listening to her talk about have particular views about, like, what the actual, like, sort of power dynamics of this relationship were. Um, and she became, he became sort of increasingly controlling, but then they also, he was just, he was very possessive of her, but he also made great art for her to dance in and all this stuff. And... She eventually, as like a young woman, became sort of so overwhelmed by this relationship that she married another man in the company. And then Balanchine fired both of them and or possibly fired her husband. And then she was like, well, OK, I'm going to leave as well. Exactly like what happens in this movie. And then Balanchine also made sure that like no one would hire them because no one wanted to be on George Balanchine's bad side. And so they had to go to Europe to dance in like Belgium, I think. And eventually she was invited back to the, to, 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 to dance with, to dance for Balanchine. Um, and that happened in, she didn't like that began in 1959. Like this is not based on that story, but it is, oh, hmm such a prevalent thing between like the great choreographers and their dancers to fire people <laughs> who dare to get married or obviously if you get pregnant you're never dancing again um or who when they lose that kind of exclusive muse and maestro relationship freak out and just <laughs> and kill the thing that's like sustaining their company like that treatment is so such a common story in the history of ballet and i'm sure a number of other arts um that to me this movie it is about art versus life but it's more particularly about that relationship between like it's just interesting to me that he's considered as is often the case Lemontov is considered the great genius, even though obviously he would not have he would not be what he is without the people who dance for him and particularly her in this film. It is interesting how that character to me, just because he doesn't he's not a, a direct like he's not a director right. or he's he's not really he's he's always I mean, he makes all the very high level mm -hmm. decisions and he clearly is a tastemaker, but it's. It's. I feel like we very rarely see like a a, a movie like this about a an executive producer or something like that. You know. Mm -hmm. Well, they said uh, Powell and Pressburger always said they based him on Alexander Korda, who was hmm. their mentor um, as a filmmaker, um, and I think he was a producer, right? I don't know. I don't Let know. Me see. Yeah, he was. A, he was. A, he was a film name. producer. Um, he did like I think he did the Thief of Baghdad oh, and okay. the Private Life of Henry VIII and like a lot of okay. uh, big movies, like classics like that. Um, mm -hmm. And he was married to Merle Oberon, who was uh, who this movie was written originally written for, but then eventually Pal and Pressburger said they wouldn't do it unless they could have a real ballet dancer play the lead. So, uh, what was that actress's name? Merle Oberon or Mo Moira Shearer? Moira Shearer. Yes. Um, I had just watched, I rewatched uh, Peeping Tom a right. few weeks ago. So that was really weird <laughs> to, <laughs> to watch her, you know, younger. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she, I guess, have you seen that one, Andrew? No, not yet. I haven't. You haven't yet. seen okay, Peeping Tom? No. I, I won't spoil that for you. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
But yeah. I Another sh- uh, Pal and Presper. Or I don't know if it's both of them. It's, it's pal. pal. Yeah. Okay. I thought she was fabulous for this being her film debut. Yeah. Obviously, she has the dancing thing. But it was a really good, unhinged performance. And she has that thing, I think, that Vivian Lee has where she's beautiful, but there's a kind of... She looks scary. Like there's something, she's like a praying mantis or something, where there's something threatening about her yeah, beauty even. Eyes. Yeah. Um, um, and the makeup they put her in enhances that, I think, for sure. Yeah. I have this little thing to read from uh, Roger Ebert's review from okay. 2005. Sheer, who was 21 when she was cast, was at the time with the Sandler Wells, uh, Sandler's Wells, Da- uh, company dancing in the shadow of young Margot Fontian. Is that how mm-hmm. I say it? Anyway, she didn't take movies seriously. She waited a year before agreeing to star in the Red Shoes, and then went back to the ballet and possibly never knew how good she was in the movie. Mm-hmm. How potentially, how powerfully she related to the camera. And Pal said, "I never knew that a natural what a natural was before, um, but now I do, and it's Moira Shearer." Hmm. And she went through a lot making this movie like she um i was reading that she got like a horrible like blister on her back from the sun um you know that british freckly british skin in the mediterranean (sighs) tough to deal with and that just basically tortured her for the entire production she like hit her head or something and it turned into an abscess and then she had to be hung for like eight hours at a time in the like uh the harness that for when she's like flying and stuff. Um, Hmm. And then all the dancers were dancing on concrete floors, which is horrible. I did see for your body Um, and could have like (laughs) prematurely ended a few careers, frankly. Um, But yeah, she, it was a lot of fucking work and this movie's, this is a lot. I mean, it's, it's long for one thing, but the doing like an entire ballet and then also a bunch of you know a movie plus several other pieces of several other ballets it's yeah. like pretty extraordinary i wasn't really sure because like i'm not a ballet person i've never i think i went to one i think i went to the nutcracker back in like elementary school but i've otherwise never been to one um and so my assumption is that this is incredible dancing because it looks really good to me and it's mm-hmm. you know crazy to watch um, but yeah, I, I kind of wondered if like, like, uh, I can't remember if this is on Wikipedia or I listened to little blips of the commentary, which has like interviews with like Scorsese and then, um, Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting track. I only listened to bits of it. Um, Oh, I lost. Oh, but they were saying that it was, it was well received as a film, but that I guess some people, some people in the theater or the ballet, I guess, business, uh, weren't as impressed with it or something like that i don't know um oh but uh but i mean to me the dancing all looked like just insane and i i also kind of wondered if it was because they they for especially for like the the main sequence the uh what was it i guess just the ballet sequence in the, the red shoes what's yeah the, oh yeah thank you uh that uh there's a lot of like film tricks and stuff in it yes. and so it's like you Time, know yeah maybe if you're like a ballet purist especially in 1948 or whatever mm-hmm that to you it's like oh this is just offensive you know this is the film art trying to you know sully our i don't know our but art yeah or whatever. i was when, when it first started and like you started to get a sense that things were going to get kind of like surreal 
Um, like De Denise is sitting next to me and she's just like, you know, I know it's maybe not a fair thing to say, but one of the things that's bothering me right now is that I'm seeing things that could not happen on a stage. And I'm like, yeah. well, I think we're kind of in her head now a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to do that stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. but what was interesting to me watching this is like, obviously, yes, there's a ton of movie stuff. And I'm so glad they did that. I'm so glad they didn't just absolutely shoot a ballet. However, a lot of the stuff, what my takeaway was, a lot of the stuff that they're doing is shit that they can do in the ballet. For instance, that- uh, Not green um, screen. No, they can't do that. But there's the part where she is like in kind of a black void and then all those curtainy like scrims come up that make it look like it's this. Mm -hmm. That's I've seen shit like that in ballet. You can absolutely do that. And also, you know, it's worth. And then the part where she is projected to be or reflected to be like a Pepper's Ghost type of effect where she's on the mm -hmm. little stand. I. That I think I think something like that actually happens in Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake. Um, what they couldn't do is have her also simultaneously be standing right, outside right. the window, but they can't. They can right. do effect and and in fact frequently do do effects like that. Um, and one of the interesting things is that uh, Hein Heckroth, who's the painter who who was the production designer and made like I don't know 150 fucking paintings for that scene alone, um, he started his career in the German ballet. Um, and he, there's so, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of stuff in that sequence in particular that is borrowed from stagecraft. Um, and I agree with you. I think then partially, you know, obviously, obviously we're in her head a little bit because she starts to see the, the two men in her life kind of take over for the for the cobbler and all that. Um, but in the rest of the movie, too, like it was interesting to me that this is. This is a ballet within a movie the ballet tells the same story as the movie and then the movie even more than other pal and pressburger things we've watched has even the kind of ground supposedly grounded story taking place outside of the ballet there to me it seemed like there was less of a concern even in those scenes with 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 presenting that as reality like there's still like so many matte paintings and all of those. There's a crazy oh, scene yeah. that, that Lee and I had to pause to to figure out where there where the current prima ballerina announces that she's getting married, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that room they're in is real halfway up, and then paintings the rest of the way, mm -hmm. including the reflection in what is supposedly a giant mirror. Um, oh, weird. And it blew. You should go back and look because it blew our minds. Because Lee, I think Lee asked, like, why is it real when it's close up, but clearly a painting when they're far away? And then we had to, like, find the. I was like, yeah, that's weird. But then I had to find the line that's like, oh, it's because when they're close up, they're only up to the, the ceiling, yeah. is the point of the room that's, re the, uh, that's a real set. And then the rest of it is painted. But there's all these things like that that. Did you the I, I didn't catch that one, but the uh the the balcony that she eventually throws herself off mm -hmm. of and when they first establish that it's a it's a set and mm -hmm. uh and like the train is just probably somebody walking with some steam. 
It's yeah. not a real train, but it's so right. funny because like the the corner of the at the very in the very corner of the frame, you just see some poor PA just like <laughs> looking up through the up at the actors <laughs> and the camera just like after after like 30 seconds of like you looking at that this dude's head in the corner of the screen it just mm-hmm. slightly adjusts to frame the person out <laughs> well there's there's also the part um after they they get married and they leave and they mm-hmm. cut to their bedroom where i yeah. for several seconds was like i don't know if i'm watching a ballet yeah. that they're both in or if this is supposed to be where they live because it's so oh. hyper stylized. I felt the same thing. I thought I yeah. thought that she was going to start dancing. Yep. <laughs> this was after A Matter of Life and Death, right? Yes. Like mm-hmm. two years okay. later. Okay. And actually, this was shelved for a while because, um, surprise, surprise, the studio did not want to release this. Why? Uh, really? Because it went way over budget, I think. And I think mm. they were pissed with the kind of surrealist aspects of it um and i mean it's a british production um i just yeah i don't i don't get it i don't get well yeah it doesn't make i mean we just i think about (laughs) just the way people's kind of collective brains are at a certain point Mm -hmm. in time and it's just it's so weird like night of the hunter just like how that was yeah. not very well received or you know how this is not immediately seen as clearly pushing the boundaries of the tools that are available right. to them if at the it time. makes you feel better when they did a screening it was so wildly popular that they then released it in north america and it was it, it did really well fucking um, shocker man yeah well and then so here's like another the, little little the public liked it the public the liked producers it were kinda, yeah, yeah okay. the studio was oh. concerned as usual um hmm. and another little knife in the gut for you is uh, <laughs> that this was the only movie nominated for best picture that year that did not receive a best director nomination. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so rad. <laughs> this of all fucking movies, that would be like nominating black Swan without nominating Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Which is just like, what? Yeah. When did that, that happened so, recently. What, what movie was it? Do you remember? Well, Lady Bird. Didn't Kip point out that Greta Gerwig didn't get yeah. nominated for I think Lady, it was Bird. Lady But even, yeah. even that is like, I mean, look, I think that's weird and stupid. Yeah. But it's so much more likely to happen to movies like almost like Spielberg or or something where a movie that doesn't have such obvious like visual yeah. right. weirdness to it. Like a movie that's so tourish in a sense or very obviously like someone's weird vision as opposed to a movie that feels like real life and people kind of forget that anybody maybe directed it like it's just right. this one in particular is like what, that is crazy what do you think i mean it took two guys to do this movie <laughs> maybe it was like it's just after the war this was co-directed we don't have enough money to make two oscars right guys, so. <laughs> um yeah i was watching this thinking like when people, you know, like people like to talk about, I don't know who I even mean by people. I just the internet, YouTube, whatever. Talk about how, like, you know, all the Marvel movies actually have like a really <laughs> distinct tone and are like very different from each other and like doing things different stylistically, which is like technically true. But then you watch something like this and you're like, these people are fucking inventing movies. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they're coming up with like, it's so wildly, insanely creative um 
And like we're saying, like so many movies are sort even really, really good ones are sort of just a shadow of a magnitude. Like they're just like trying to reach <laughs> this level of uh, originality. It's, it's yeah. definitely there are ton there are good movies that come out all the time, but it's it's definitely very rare that one sort of like shifts your pers- your 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 perception of like what can happen in a movie mm-hmm. and i'm like I, I i think that this has to be one of them i'm 2001 is i mean a lot right. of them are old movies um which makes sense but it's like and then it's like what is that you know not to harp on like movies nowadays but like like mad max would be probably one yeah like, totally Dirty road like yeah. that was like a, oh i guess we can do this Maybe um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I thought about sometimes, yeah, or just even, even that, original even Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the which I love twenty forty nine, but I think it's just it's 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 working overtime to do a thing that had already been done, which is right. fine. That's what you want it to do, but mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, it's just this it is, movie is so clearly like trying to change the game and succeeding. Yeah, and you wonder like I'm sure that in nineteen forty seven people were like, we've seen it all. What else could you do? <laughs> But I, where we're at now in 2021, I do kind of wonder, like, with as like, so it's not just movies that are visual anymore. You've got TV, you've got Mm -hmm. Internet videos, you've got video games. Like, I think like anything visual is just taken so for granted that you Mm -hmm. couldn't ever really have anything this striking and new, probably. But who knows? I I think you can. Um, I just think we we're not smart enough to think of it. But somebody. Yes. Somebody will come but, out with something that makes us go, holy shit. But will it be in the film format or will it yeah, be a video true. game or virtual reality or something? Yeah, that I don't uh, that I don't know. But yeah, I, 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 I don't think that we've, you know, I don't think we've reached the pinnacle of whatever, you know, whatever humans are creative are, are able to do create creatively. Like, right. I think it's I think yeah. it's more likely that, you know, maybe we're in we're either in like a. Uh, we've plateaued and we're on the verge of of like a a big creative revolution or maybe this is the beginning of you know i i think no matter what i i don't believe in those limitations i don't think and i don't think that anything you know whether it be um you know capitalism or whatever is going to is going to step in the way of human creativity in the long run you know mm-hmm. i think we can you can do it you can stifle you could stifle hum- human creativity in the short term, but I think in in the long term, uh, you know, it'll find a way. But do you ever think, though, that it must have been nice? Like, I think about this with painting a lot, where, like, all anybody's trying to do is, for the most part, let's say, and in, you know, the Western art tradition particularly, is try to make paintings that look convincingly as convincingly as possible, like real life. And then photography happens and you can spit paint at canvas. And it's like, whoa, you just (laughs) like, there are certain inflection points where it seems like it's easier than at other times to come up with a new idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You might be right. But like, there's, it's a different experience. Like looking at a, Mm -hmm. looking at a photo or a drawing that's, that's striving for, um realism i think is still different than looking at a photo and it also mm. depends on the oh, photo like there's there's mm-hmm. so much 
there's everything's so di- it's just it's what it is is it's um it's it's individual perspective you know it changes mm-hmm. every single thing regardless of if you and i sat down to do the exact same thing at the exact same skill level it would still mm-hmm. look different no matter what it was yeah. I, I and you know technical technology is not an enemy to it like I feel like the the in, in I wonder if the entire conception of this movie or the reason that it happened when it did is because of Technicolor I mean it's called the red shoes the red shoes got to be super fucking red and like there's you know, so much about it the part where there's just like the gels that this they're is, dropping in yes. front of the camera that I'm like would yeah. you have thought to do that if you didn't have this like crazy you know color technology at your See, fingertips this, this is what not. happens though Pe- somebody comes up with some piece of technology uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people complain about it and you know say it's it's going to ruin cinema or whatever art and then somebody else who's smarter than all those people figures out <laughs> how to use it and do something cool mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. so this is going to sound like I'm joking <laughs> but this is what I have said about digital movies. Mm-hmm. Like they have all of this new freedom and it seems to have actually cheapened the quality of a majority of stuff. It did not make good movies impossible or anything like that. But then I saw spring breakers, which I know not everybody was hot on, <laughs> but like that was a movie where I was like, this has taken like the digital technology and it's just taken it to this really interesting, unique visual place. Um, so, I mean, spring breakers well, and the red shoes are different, but like, I, I think that digital so technology itself is not a hindrance, but I think that digital may have like I don't know. Freedom people aren't is challenging themselves. But I digital think. digital lets yeah. you make a movie, Mike. So there's also that. There's people who are like who are what it what one thing that it's done is given us a buttload of um what's his fucking name? Knocked up. Oh, Apatow. Oh, Apatow. Digital he enables on film, doesn't he? Or does he? He must shoot on digital. Stuff. I think he, he shoots shoot on digital. digital. But it gives us yeah. it gives us that ethic anyway of like just keep the camera rolling, let people talk as long mm-hmm. as they fucking want. Yeah, we'll shoot everything and then we'll clip together a, a movie of sort of individual moments. But it also gives people That's... like Soder- Soderbergh, like yeah, or Fincher, his style Fincher. would or Fincher. There's yeah. that whole their styles would not exist Mm-mm. without you know, and then it, just the number of people who can make a movie when they don't have to. I mean, it's similar with music. Like, you know, I'm, I recorded my first album in a studio that used tape and that's, you know, kind of a classic experience that people long for, but the number of people who can now make music in their houses, I mean, it's great. Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's, I think the factor is time. I think, you know, when something like digital cinema is introduced and it's like, it's a shiny new toy, it's cheaper, uh, all of a sudden I can do all these things. But I think collectively people need to, like people people all around have to figure out little bits of, you know, the, the big picture, I guess, on like how to actually well, use this technology in a way that isn't, uh, you know, detrimental to the art. And I think it just I think it just takes time. So, yeah, you yeah. get 10 years of of people of studios saying, oh, you can't shoot on film anymore. You have to shoot on digital. And then people not really knowing how to adjust to that. And now you have movies that are shot in multiple mm-hmm. formats. I mean, like t- more movies are being shot on film now than were six or seven years ago. Right. And For sure. also now the, the technology has reached a point where it's like, you can either do one of two things. You can make a 
something that it that could only be a digital you know something like nightcrawler or something that is very specific in the way it is a digital film or you can do something like uh i don't know a, a, a an irishman or or something where it's like mm -hmm. clearly they shot in film but anywhere they film couldn't do it they could use it as a tool so it's like it could be a it can be a point of creative expression or it can be a point of uh you know technological necessity um, well, think of, yeah. I mean, I think of how long it took them to figure out what the fuck to do with IMAX. Like, I was seeing IMAX, sure. IMAX whale documentaries in the early <laughs> 90s when I was a kid. And so, like, that's all there was to do with yeah. IMAX. And then there was a time period of, like, I think <laughs> movies using IMAX in a very showy, shitty uh, kind of way. And then, you yeah. know, Tom Cruise figured it, figured it out really very recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm it's not, like 2000 I'm not 2014 giving, uh, or james or 2000, cameron credit 2011 2012 well i mean I think the uh, you first... don't you don't you, you you may not want to but like it's it is all those guys though it's tom cruise yeah. it's christopher nolan it's honestly yeah. michael bay uh yeah it's james cameron like the you know they james cameron specifically with 3d like obviously mm -hmm. 3d's kind of gone you know gone the way of the buffalo at this point but It'll come the, back. They keep trying. They'll never stop trying with 3D. <laughs> that's the thing is it's like it's 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 the it's the industry and the the art of it being at odds with each other. You know, some like there's there's absolutely a place for 3D. Like no mm -hmm. question in my mind there's a place. It's just a really small slice of pie that doesn't make any monetary sense to a billion dollar studio. Right. Yeah. Therefore, you get, out, you know, every, you know, every movie has to be a 3D movie. So I found out yeah. that they actually, I mean, there's people doing VR porn now. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought you that was still, say. I thought that was still years away from being a thing. And it made me, when I found that out, I became, I was just like, I can't believe I see any man ever, you know, if, <laughs> if that's what we're doing now. Um, yeah. But, I you know, know, that. I, hmm. what, I don't know if I see, I don't know. To me, mm, there's something about that that's very <laughs> weird to me. Oh, so, no shit. It's the end of civilization. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Does I'm, anybody know how that works? Like, yes. Because from what I've seen from it's is it is it just like it's like a split screen and it's supposed to create the effect of like more immersion or is there no, more no, like no, 360 views? Well, there's yeah, it's 360. I think I, I'm guessing based on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I don't. This is not something I think I've seen. Um, but I've seen like YouTube videos where, and I've mm -hmm. shot 3d, 3d videos or 360 view videos before. It's just like, it's uh -huh. a camera and it has like a super wide lens on the front and on the back. So it's like 180 degrees. And then there's software that just kind of connects everything. And you okay. just, I don't know. So I for the plant it in the middle of the room and bang a chick, I guess. Well, but so wouldn't you need more than one? person around you doing activities no. for it to be any different okay no no you so, just kind of you can look at the door you know uh, wouldn't that be racing. actually now wouldn't that be oh, i feel like that would be more of a a realistic experience of just yes. like right you, you just that's like why looking I'm not off worried into space about that's that, why i'm i'm ultimately not worried is because What's going to happen with VR porn, it's going to be the same as when they make like a haunted house experience at a theme park where right. there's never there's never verisimilitude because I'm like, <laughs> well, OK, why is this like Leatherface guy hanging out with Dracula like that wouldn't happen? 
And right. that's, I don't think most people probably making porn have the sophistication to go, well, you know, technically this will be more real if there's just a door back there instead of some other people <laughs> banging or, you know, whatever. Um, right. So, yeah, it's going to, I don't think our, I don't think our um, sophistication will ever catch up with the, with the potential of the medium. Um, I just think reality isn't necessarily what you're, and I know that this is very off topic, but. I because it's interesting. Mm, Reality is so. not necessarily what you're going for with right. pornography, so maybe it's not good. It's like uh, yeah, but, the, but that's the uh, thing is is <clears throat> male fantasy dictates that we we want the pornographic experience to be reality. I think. See, I think the I I think that the with with men anyway, the porn dictates the fantasy, not the other way around. Like if you. The, the 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 technology for lack of a better word the fact that you could just sit home all day with a headset on your head you know jerking off until you're shooting dust out of your pinor means you have to do it <laughs> it doesn't matter if that's what you want you know the, the they tell you what you well, want but you no. can look for what you want <laughs> <laughs> what do you, i don't know i understand i mean like the fantasy has to dictate what you go searching for in the first place, right? There's that, but I think there are things that you would never go searching for if the they fact didn't. that anything is out there changes what you'll even search for. She's got a point. I, I think see. I think it's all it's a very it's a it's a self-perpetuating monster. People right. used to go through life with like playing cards with like you know a woman's ankle on them and that was enough. Right. The fact that, I don't think our brains have changed. I think that what is available to us has changed, and that is what dictates what we do with our lives. <laughs> you know, we see. You know, to bring it back to movies, we we every we all see Marvel movies because that's what we're being fucking shoveled. You know, that's that's what there is to see. I don't. Right. I and I'm not even. I'm not a. I don't know if I'm a as dismissive of Marvel movies as someone like Scorsese is. I disagree with him that they aren't cinema, but I take his point that if that's all you're given, or at least if that is presented to you as the only thing that exists in the world, then you're going to tell yourself that's good. <laughs> yeah. You know? I was thinking, this is multiple things I've been thinking about, mm -hmm. which we could discuss later, I guess, if we'd rather get back to the movie. But I did see some article today in uh, Variety where they had surveyed Zoomers and they were asking them what... Uh, now, Mike, for the listeners, do you mean people who are on the chat app Zoom or do you mean Generation Z? Well, I do draw a line between Discorders like ourselves mm -hmm. and Zoomers. That's yes, right, baby. And uh, GoToMeeting. Um, no, but yeah, I mean Zoomers, <laughs> the Gen Z whatever's mm -hmm. after the millennials so mm -hmm. i think some people call them gen z some people call them iGen, uh but Ugh. i call them zoomers because it makes me laugh um but they were saying that like like movies are very much an afterthought and even television is kind of an afterthought for them mm -hmm. and that there's like video games and i can't remember if they separated out streaming versus regular like so like a netflix i don't know if that counted as tv or if how that was differentiated from like twitch right. or other streaming video and stuff um but but yeah and so i wonder too like if maybe they are sort of like eh, rejecting well, marvel and dc like because it's like yeah. well, we're just not interested in film 
I don't I'm know. I'm an old ass lady, and I said to Lee recently, I can't remember what exactly we're talking about. I said I feel like the place where like innovative fantasy storytelling is happening is all video games. It's yeah. not. It's not really movies. It's not television. But places where they are kind of exploring both kind of exploring and expanding the possibilities for like narrative formats but also doing the best job of it is video games and i say that as someone who doesn't play any um i yeah. just just sitting next to someone who does i'm like i think the problem more? is that people took over the industry who had very little interest in film and it created this situation where, and like there have always been reboots, there have always been remakes, there have always been adaptations, but it created this situation where like the sole focus was just these massive temple type of things. Mm -hmm. And like that doesn't grow an audience. It just keeps an audience, I guess. Um, and it's like, you can get more people going to a single film than you would have to maybe 10 other movies you would have made that year. But I feel like it didn't like, like I, we can, we all more or less came of age in the nineties kind of maybe mm -hmm. a little after and like the independent film scene of the nineties was fucking crazy. Like there's just so many crazy weird movies being made. It's, it makes sense to be interested in film as an art form and as an industry. Whereas it's like, I think if, if I was, if I was 10 in 2010 and then I was now 21, is that how that would work? Yeah. Um, like, why would I care that much about movies? Part yeah. And like, so if I like superhero movies, uh, then I, I would, of course, be thrilled with every new every new uh, Snyder cut that comes out. But but if I was like a person like me who like likes, you know, I don't know, weirder shit like I did in, you know, when like being John Malkovich was coming out or whatever it was that that really pulled me into film so hard when I was coming of age, like, uh yeah, maybe I would be really just into like indie gaming, which like you're saying, Kit, like there's a lot of just it's interesting that that, that industry hasn't been fully just like, I don't know, taken over by mm -hmm. non-creatives, I guess. They and don't, I'm not I saying do, that all movies mm -hmm. are bad or anything like that now, but I do that, think, though, that it would be a lot easier for you to as a 10 year old in 2010, see the red shoes than it would have been for yeah. you in the 90s. See, but that's the thing. I was at the video store multiple times a week. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, me in particular, maybe. Not, but the instant but gratification other... of it, I know that can, I think that can both cheapen it, but it can also be, if you have the inclination, make it, right. like, you know, with music, I'm in my 30s now. I don't think I've really slowed down my interest in music because yeah. I can just download a song by basically thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's nice. I I go back and forth on on this one because it's like, you know, I I have ha I mean I've had this movie, The Red Shoes, on my list of movies to watch forever, mm -hmm. and I would have watched it regardless uh, for this podcast. But like when you assigned it, like I went out and found it and bought it and brought it home, and I mm -hmm. own it now, and I'm gonna watch it again. Um, and I don't know. I just I think. I think, yeah, it's great that we have this endless access, but I just, I worry about the stuff that is so accessible, but that nobody's watching, if that yes. makes any sense. Yeah. Because, well, it like, also hurts when Netflix is out there putting out movies that fucking suck almost to, almost, I mean, in terms of the pers the ratio of their output that is good, like, yeah, okay, Roma, uh, <laughs> and then that is terrible like we've talked about this before redefining what a movie is to yeah. people potentially that mm -hmm. i have gotten to the point where i don't 
not that I was majorly into it before, but like, I don't think I'd ever start a Netflix movie <laughs> at this point. Or I don't, yeah. you know, and I wonder if I was younger, would I just assume, well, this is how shitty all movies I mean, are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I think it's possibly comparable to how, you know, for some people who only ever had a blockbuster, then they don't really get why video stores were that cool. Or maybe like they, you know, because Blockbuster was perhaps like the Netflix of its time. Although right. Blockbuster had way, way more movies, all the good movies and all the type of like the classics. But um, then versus somebody who had like the mom and pop shop that had all the right. weird, you know, type of movies that I was into. Um, but yeah. And then so, yeah, I, I don't know. There's no there's no super clean comparison. But Steve and I were also talking about how it's just such a weird time to be a film fan and not just because you can't go to movie theaters. Well, you you can kind of again now, but they're just not really releasing stuff yet. But like it was this exact thing. I was I just saw him this weekend and like he was like, you know, both of us have a couple of streaming services. We've got Criterion Channel where you can Mm -hmm. watch. That's where I watched the Red Shoes. Like it's like it's it's insane what's available to us for ten dollars a month. But it's like and, and and like being i'm a big blu-ray collector and so it's like there's new restorations of all of yeah. these movies all the time they look better than you've ever been able to see them before mm-hmm. you know we we grew up watching stuff on vhs and then dvd right. um but at the same time it feels like no one gives a shit and then i also i barely give a shit about new movies <laughs> like i um like i'm a huge movie buff but like I, I went through and like my i watched about four almost 400 movies last year and i broke it down by decade and it was like, I mean, I don't even think it was 10% of the last decade. It was like yeah. almost everything I was watching was from I'm the same with, before. I'm the same with music that yeah. I basically only go backwards. Um, You know, I'd like to like something from now. And it's not, necessar- right. I mean, I'm not even seeking it, though. So it'd be hard yeah. for it to find me. I guess that's why I'm the most cultured of all of us. because I, I think that's true. <laughs> you definitely yeah. keep us relevant. <laughs> I yeah. will say, no, you've, you've <laughs> hipped me to some good new stuff too. I will. I will say that like one of the biggest reasons that I like physical media over streaming is is a it's it's sort of like a it's like yeah it's a sense of like ownership and also like honestly as as stuff is going away, um, it feel I feel more and more like an archivist. Yeah. Um, you know, Me I go, too. I used to go, I used to be able to go into like, you know, any number of, of chain stores and, and buy like a movie or something. Like I would just go and rifle through their bit or go to Blockbuster and look at what they were selling or whatever. Um, you could buy movies so easily. And now it's like, I, I went into, I just upgraded to, to UHD and I was like looking for some stuff to, to watch. So I went to like, best buy and it was like they're they don't even really sell movies anymore that's weird yeah. to me uhd and 4K. what is it versus blue is that four times the resolution but is it a blu-ray technology still yeah it's still it's okay 4k 4k blu-rays but they play okay. on a 4k blu-ray player it's just more information it, it i do a, wish what's that, that they had like so like there's a very clear different like name between dvd and blu-ray I wish that they had not called them 4K UHD Blu-rays. It's terrible. <laughs> I feel like it gets confusing to people. Yeah, it's terrible. If UHD but it's just means like, it's... 4K, then why is 4K also in there? UHD. So here's the thing: 4K in this situation is a little confusing because sometimes it's actually 2K. 
Okay. Um, 4K <laughs> is a is a it's a branding term. It's marketing gibberish in okay. in in this case. It always means it's a higher resolution than 1080, mm-hmm. but it's uh it it honestly it depends on on which, you know, what mm-hmm. And the thing is is like you know, I was reading about like why why doesn't Criterion move why don't they start making, you know, UHD? And it's like it's a it's UHD is such a niche market and Blu-ray was already becoming a very niche market and DVD yeah. the same. And it's like, so you have these sort of tiers that are becoming like increasingly um, specific in their audience and that audience is getting smaller and smaller. And so like Criterion's never going to make, prob- may never make 4K Blu-rays because they already, like there are, DVDs are still, I think DVDs are still like the, the, um, the best-selling physical media hmm. at the moment, which is insane. I think that's true too. Yeah. Wow. So then, yeah. So then you're just you're sort of layering technology on top of stuff, and people still yeah. haven't migrated. So I I think yeah. I, I don't think they're going to. to it pro- is expensive. Yeah. For produce a four K. Um. So but, uh, I think the future for guy for sad men like Mike and I is that you'll have you know companies like Criterion and Arrow and Shout and um oscilloscope and all these other companies who sort of who are going to be restoring and putting out what they can until the bitter end i think and yeah mm-hmm. we will support them as best we can mm-hmm. um but i read today you know i know we're way off on a crazy tangent right now but i read today I, I didn't even read the article but um except for a few lines but it was basically how oh you might start seeing p- product placement in like digitally inserted into old films and i was just like oh my god thank fucking god that i buy movies yeah yeah no that's and i mean so there's that but then there's also just there have been a lot of movies that have either been fully pulled from streaming or even episodes of tv shows like right i remember people i think it was on reddit the other day they were bitching about spongebob a couple episodes of spongebob got pulled um wild but yeah it's like they can just take gone with the wind away from you or they can just Mm -hmm. take birth of a nation away from you and it's like that's an important and there's always piracy but in terms of like you know i I don't know it's it gets tricky i I mean frankly i feel safer in a way in terms of not losing movies lee would probably rake me over the coals for this but i feel gone with the wind being on the internet makes it safer than it being in a fucking warehouse, you know, yeah. um, or relying on old, old prints or old DVDs or whatever. I don't right, know. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's, I'm not I saying it's not, I don't, I don't know if it's, I'm not saying it's not true, but art archiving this stuff is such a, like they really have not cracked it yet. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, so it's like, and you've got so many different versions of things floating around, um, you know, and, and the, you know, the version of, of Gone with the Wind that you're viewing on, you know, HBO or whatever is a, it's a highly compressed st- yes. streamable version. See, I can say that because I don't care. I'm I know, a but you when will, it comes, you when will it comes care. to visuals. <laughs> you, but you, you, you may not care about it in terms of your viewing experience, but yeah. you will care about it in terms of your desire to see things prevail. Yeah. Yes. I do think, though, to Kit's point, like it's it's great to have, uh, you know, the original print of uh, Gone with the Wind in a salt mine in Kansas or mm-hmm. somewhere. <laughs> uh, but it's also great if you if so if you have that, that's excellent. But it's also very good to have it on servers and hard drives all around the world. Yeah. Uh, in that's the event the that yeah. somebody were to drop a big bomb on Kansas or mm-hmm. something like. 
just make um, just make keep making copies baby you know send yeah. some, build a vault on the moon put some up there but you know <laughs> hey there's an was, idea thank you i'm working on it but i think about like you know is that why you were talking to elon uh Musk my fr- the other day elon i call him lonnie um lonnie <laughs> but um you know i think about a new hope star wars a new hope you know that's right. like like a movie that has not like they've never released those in their original theatrical mm-hmm. format on any sort of um I, I think not since VHS. I don't think you can get there's like a laser disc. Anyway, all that to say there's there's the despecialized versions, which is a bunch of weirdo internet pirate nerds mm-hmm. got together and created like a true 1080 experience, but they had to do it from you know, there's like pieces of VHS and 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 yeah. and laserdisc and all kinds of like weird chunks, and they had to like learn upscaling technology and 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 uh, digital noise reduction and all kinds of crazy things to kind of restore this experience. So they're heroes. They are heroes. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. absolutely heroes. Mm-hmm. And to that, that's a piece of history that was allegedly gone, or George Lucas yeah. was lying, which is also possible. But it's just. So in that way, it's great that there's a million different versions of things flying around because it's like somebody somewhere is going to be able to find it and and mm-hmm. hopefully care enough to restore it to, you know, the thing that made it the important thing that it is. Um, well, tr- if Criterion ever does release a UHD, I would like for it to be the red shoes. Let's I'll bring yes. it back around. <laughs> and, yes, yeah. I think I think this is honestly related to the red shoes because what we're talking about. What inspires this conversation is the seeming, you know, boundless originality of this movie and its extraordinary value as 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 a film, something that is worthy of preserving, worthy of seeing that we're hopeful that people see that I still you know, we said this about um, about a matter of life and death, that there's something about that movie that you feel like you could show it to a kid now and they would enjoy it and be sort of you know delighted and surprised by it visually and this movie is longer and has a little more you know scenes of people hanging out and talking but i i think as a kid you know there was a time you know i grew up watching the kind of technicolor music musicals of the 50s and 60s and a lot of those always had a ballet in the middle and as i liked (laughs) ballet as a child and those bored the shit out of me. I enjoy them a little bit more now. But I think this ballet, this this I would have enjoyed if I'd seen it as a kid. This might have made me want to make movies or be a dancer or, or something yeah. like well, it. And I kind of appreciated, which we were talking about earlier, might be what people who were into ballet did not appreciate. But like I appreciated when they did things in this movie where like they would, the dancers would leap and the, they would hold them up. And they were in their white, you know, outfits. Right. And then, like, the movie superimposed flowers over them. And I was like, yeah. oh. Because as somebody who's not versed in the language of ballet, right, I, I don't know exactly what that'd be, the visual style mm-hmm. of ballet or whatever that. Uh, like, Wait, I Mike, never would have. You don't, you don't speak ballet? I don't. Jesus, no. dude. All right. Um, you, should just, you should see me dance. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, like, I think, yeah, like, if a kid were to watch that, maybe it would sort of develop some of that uh grammar i don't know what that would yeah. be but like uh and because yeah because i've always just it to me honest to god watching any ballet it's just people hopping around and like i can appreciate oh. the athleticism of it but i so <laughs> rarely 
even understand and i feel kind of the same way with any of the opera i've seen where i'm, I've, I'm time, that I'm way like, with opera though i've been thinking yeah. recently i need to give opera another shot um yeah. i do enjoy opera scenes in movies and tv shows but i've yeah. every opera i've seen where it's just an opera i'm so bored i do not yeah. like i do not like non-stop singing I don't like when every word of a thing is sung. I need people to talk normally in between. Yeah. That's for very me, hard for me. For me, I like all music except rap and country. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's okay for us to have an episode that's not an hour and a half long. Um, I don't have any more notes, okay. as a matter of fact, other than have you ever seen two cooler production logos in a row? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. my god. Why gosh. did we stop doing that? Come yeah. on, guys. I also like I, I can just kind of go through a couple things that I think were yeah. really cool. I mean, um, the the opening and closing title cards. Yes. Yes. So okay. Gorgeous. So pretty. That is one of my notes. What contemporary filmmaker did that remind you of? Or did that remind you of a contemporary filmmaker? I don't know. To me, that was like straight out of Wes Anderson. Like, Grand oh, oh sure, sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. The final title card was so beautiful, particularly when they showed the kind of smaller version of the shoes with their like wired ribbon. Yeah. I started to cry. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's beautiful. At that, at that end end title card. It's gorgeous. I'm starting to cry right now. Thinking about <laughs> yeah, I, I realize we haven't like talked like a ton about this movie, but yeah. it, it really is one of the better movies we've watched. I loved it. I will absolutely watch it again. It was mm -hmm. beautiful. I mean, very very striking and arresting and it will absolutely stay with me um and, and i cried I liked... a lot that's not the only time i cried <laughs> yeah I'm a... what's new am i right yeah i know uh, um <laughs> but also you know the characters are you know fairly complex especially yeah. the what's his name the Lementov? producer dude yeah that dude Lementov, yeah like well I, he's not like, a, he's uh, not an asshole in a way well no he's absolutely an asshole but, but he's not as he can... me he's not as an asshole as i expected He's like the way you know that what I expected. It is? It's he's like Jay Z. He's got a big ego, but he can back it up. Yes. So it's my favorite Beyonce song. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that. That was like one of my first notes. Is like this dude is totally a prick, but like he's he's also kind of not wrong about yeah. everything. So. Um, but he's so I like, he, he's not I like, like that. He's less directly cruel than I would have expected this character to be. He's sort well, of passive aggressively cruel <laughs> well and sometimes when he, and, and when you do f like any time that he is being even at his cruelest i think that is kind of undercut by the sort of ambiguity of his desires towards vicky yes because and he's a very elegant man i mean it's a good performance like he he's oh absolutely there's a charm to him for sure but like i don't think he wants to fuck her i don't even no. know that he might be gay like or not or asexual go, to be honest it goes beyond yeah fucking for sure so he wants to just possess her but it's also like i genuinely think he wants to make her great like it isn't necessarily just possession to me yes but i think the like amount of just credit control. the amount of credit that he takes for well, her greatness is yeah, far beyond that's, that's what seems true. actually due to him for me. Like he gave her an opportunity 
and cre- and helped create the condition. But even, I mean, he's not even her choreographer. <laughs> you, That's you know, true. he didn't write the music. He didn't choreography. He didn't do the costumes or the sets. He just went like, "Hey, you're a good dancer," which is great. You know, I think it's fine to feel indebted to him in some way, but he, but in a way, he should be so much more indebted to, <laughs> to her. It seems to me, um, you know. I mean, I, 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 I'm a producer. I, <laughs> I identify with wanting to take credit for for genius that is not your own. Um, but yeah, he's. It's just clear that, you know. Let's see you dance it, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, he tries. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then even uh, Ju- Julian, uh, the the husband character, yeah. like he, like there's a there's a point very late in the film where you know, uh, what's what's the guy's name again? Le- Lemontov. Lemontov. Yeah. Okay. Where he says, you know, would would Julian walk out on his career for you? And then five minutes later, dude, like knocked off his you know his opening night of his big you know Mm -hmm. magnum opus or whatever to come come get his wife so it's like there's definitely like layers of these characters to pull back that's that's interesting and um there's 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 just there's a lot more to it than just the visuals um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah leaves you something to think with think about and the and the and the i just i love that it can tell you something that feels it feels like a very like you were saying at the beginning a very kind of authentic representation of what it's like to be an artist and to work with other people to make art and for the quality of the art to sort of be its own reward while also having this amazing Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale Mm -hmm. aspect. Um, Like it blends the kind of real and the surreal so well. And obviously that works by the end. They are (laughs) indistinguishable. Um, So just as usual, with these with these chodes they're just the greatest you know visual <laughs> storytellers and then also just really good if they wanted to make normal movies they would have been the best at that i think <laughs> yeah i gotta just go through and like watch watch all these movies to be honest because we've um, well i feel like well yeah anyways peeping tom several. peeping tom is like in is on a list um like I think I have most of their movies in a planned, like in a kind of idea for a triple, at yeah. some point. Because like and Black you... Black Narcissus is incredible yeah. looking, like, yeah, like and it looks like different from this. I've got that one on Blu-ray, but I've never watched it. Ugh. But if you have Criterion Channel, which I can't remember if you do or not, Andrew, but most of many of their movies are on there. I can't. You, so I can't do I another. I can't streamer. believe. Yeah. You can't do Criterion. If I want I mean, to watch something, I will go. No, if I All want right. to watch something, I'll All go. Because here's the: I had Criterion once. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody, yeah. somebody bought it for me as a gift, mm-hmm. and I never oh, yeah. turned it on once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's too. It's too. Streamers are too overwhelming. I've got like, if if I don't go into my like, you know nightly watching routine with something in mind i'll just sit there clicking and i won't pick anything and yeah. if i do it'll be wow. shit so it's just yeah. like like mm. if i want if i want i'm if if you guys recommend something that exists on the criteria on a on criterion that i'm gonna go fucking buy it and then i'm gonna yeah. watch it because fair enough that's the way to do it i think yeah although <laughs> some of their smaller movies i'm not 100 percent sure if they're on blu-ray or not but they're on the channel because I think Janice Films owns the distribution. If I was des- if I was desperate, yeah. I guess I would do something like that. Yeah, yeah. but only if I was but, desperate. I understand. <laughs> hey, I, I admire that. You get a much better uh, bit rate that way. So, 
That's right, baby. We're all about bit rates here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a pixel to be spared. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I had a couple notes, though, okay. if we're closing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my notes on the ballet sequence were just, holy cow, the colors, the sets, the dancing, the experimental stuff, the lights, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was crazy. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, we've, we've said plenty about it. Uh, one other note I did have on the ballet sequence was that at the beginning in the commentary, there's a little bit from Scorsese where he says that this is the movie that his good friend, Brian De Palma, uh, saw and that it made De Palma want to make movies. And so I'm sure this is one of many, but uh, well, apparently he, the color certainly so, has a parallel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. And I, I could see several. But one thing that I was like, I was proud that this clicked with me mm-hmm. and it partially clicked with me because when we watched phantom of the paradise kit you pointed out how much you liked this scene but it was the scene so in phantom of the paradise there's a scene where uh swan is at his booth and it's spinning yes between like the singers and it's kind of like darkness behind them and then it lights up and they sing their bit mm-hmm. so in this in the ballet sequence there's a scene that's really cool where it just does a full it's this the camera spins uh probably 45 90 degrees at a time and it looks like those whatever those creatures are are like mm-hmm. approaching her right and i was like i wonder if not even a conscious but i wonder if yeah. the just kind of had that in his his uh head from there um okay and then i guess i think that's it there was the wes anderson stuff there was multiple i mean it was like like i said it was distracting how many like it was like oh there's wes anderson there's De Palma, there's i mean mm-hmm. hitchcock i mean you yes. know they must um so anyways but yes that's that's i guess one last little note i was gonna get in uh, before we close up shop here's but. i have a question and is it is it am i crazy or does it feel like older movies like wrap up in like a really quick like fast yeah. like is that okay because i part I of it is mean. part of it is definitely like they don't do credits the way we do credits now like there's like 20 mm-hmm. minutes of credits now right and so we gotta like build to that i guess but i feel like I feel like so many of the movies that we've watched that take that were made around like the 40s, the 50s. It's just like, oh, the movie's over, and something, yeah, inc- like something in like <laughs> like like consider the fact that she gets run over by a train, and then mm-hmm. the movie is over 45 seconds later. <laughs> yeah, there's no like, um, there's no like, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown to like her getting run over by a train. <laughs> but like, I always the way that I always feel is like whenever Gone with the Wind ends. Like, I know every line of that movie. I know what the last line of the film is. But when it truly, this three-hour movie just, like, ends on her, like, getting dumped. <laughs> and then saying, like, you know, tomorrow is another day. And, I mean, they do show you, like, the the amazing tree and everything again. But it's like, damn, dude. They know how to get out of there. And, I mean, that's one yeah. of my number one complaints with that I'll have with movies more recently is, like, they just it wouldn't end. Like, yeah. <laughs> just end. You got to set up the sequel. Like imagine, yeah. imagine uh, the movie go to going audience of 1948 trying to get through the five endings of Return of the King. Like, <laughs> what would they or the do? Snyder cut or the Snyder <laughs> yeah. cut? Yeah, man. I would kind uh, of. I think if I if I did have access to a time machine, I would definitely sacrifice some some audience somewhere from like the 40s just to to see what would happen. To watch them view that type of movie and just yeah. like would it be completely baffling would it be 
Would it be like the tr- would it be like the 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 train coming to the station, the Lumiere yeah. brothers? <laughs> you know, would, it be, would they all be like running out of the theater, terrified? What What would be your post credit scene in this movie? Oh, I know exactly what it would be. Are you what? ready for this? Okay. Yes. So we're we're uh, we're in the auditorium. Show's over. Everybody's gone. Camera pushes in, pushes in, pushes in on that little that little shop, that shoe shop. Mm-hmm. Get real close to the uh, to the red shoes, and mm-hmm. then they start to move a little bit. Yeah, hard cut. Yeah, and then it says, yeah, and I... then it says, and then it says, Spider Man will be back. <laughs> I was so yeah, that's great. That's genius. They probably should have just done it. I was thinking something somewhat related, where we cut to like fifteen to twenty five years later, and like. People are in more, you know, modern dress walking down the street. A little girl passes a window and she looks in and she sees the red shoes. And it's kind of like Jumanji, you know, when it like washes up on the beach or whatever. And those guys find it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I like this. Mm, I got nothing. Those are both great ideas. All right. Oh, that's. See, I think maybe it could be her severed feet, like walking across the screen in the shoes. I'm stoked for this, the Red Shoes cinematic universe. <laughs> I'm fucking ready for it. It's like that and um, and Wizard of Oz. Um, what else has Red Shoes? It, it? Does he wear red shoes? I don't know. <laughs> I think I he know. does. <laughs> red Shoes. That's got to be a thing. I mean, cause of, just because of Wizard of Oz being referenced, I'm sure yeah. that there's... Is there a David Lynch movie where they got Red Shoes? Like Wild at Heart? Is there any? Or Mul- Mulholland Drive? Anyways, we got any more little stragglers? Nope. No. Then it's time for our cruise minute. And Andrew, if you could uh, just put a little clip of him saying "back to the movies." Yeah. Um, <laughs> we showed that to Andy for the first time. He he's visiting, yeah. and we should, we he'd never seen that clip. We showed that to him. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, I still have not watched Jack Reacher. Uh, I don't have any other cruise Ooh, news. That's a big update. It's been because yeah. it's been it's been over a month since your last uh, well Jack actually, Reacher update. Since those were my Snyder Cut trilogy tr- or triple feature updates, that will have been like a year ago by the time this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. So people will be like, "Man, Mike is really taking his time with Jack Reacher." Yeah. But, well, we did anyhow. just find out about Top Gun, right? And yes. Mission Impossible release dates, which is a real wait. Should we be doing cruise news if it's going to be like a year later? Yeah, because that's like, what we do, Mike. Yeah. Okay, Mike. that's fine. Top Gun will be out by the time this comes on. Great, Maybe. dude. <laughs> that's a good point. When's it coming out now? May. Okay. And then Mission MI wait, is 2022. No. What? No, 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 no. No, it no, got no, pushed Memorial farther. Day. Top Gun? Top Gun? I thought got... you said it was coming out Memorial Day. No, Top no, Gun got, got pushed to next year or like November. Oh, really? And so yeah, did Mission dude. Impossible. Mission Impossible is 2022. Is Dune going to come out this year? Yes. October. Okay. I know. What about the French uh, Dispatch? Is that still coming out? I think so. I think it's opening one of the film festivals, one of the big ones. What about Bond? That's, I think, still fall. Summer, fall, I think. For now. Who Who fucking knows? I mean, I don't know. I'm surprised. I kind of thought... Tom Cruise would be leading the charge back, literally back, leading us back to the movies. Yeah, uh, pulling us out of our homes. Yeah. What about the Black Widow? Oh, uh, that comes out in July. That got pushed to July. <laughs> I don't care. It'll come out on HBO or whatever the fuck. Um, All right. 
I don't care. You think I'm going to see you that? You asked me. You asked me. I was joking. You asked me like I'm the movie guy. I'm here I to give joking. you news. What about I, know you, I knew you would know. Minions. What about the new Minions? Yeah, what about a new Minions? When are we get a new Minions? Hey, kid, I got a, I got a question about the Bible. JK, okay. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's my cruise minute. Um, okay. It's about... I like how Black Widow is... Andrew... Black Widow is Andrew as... Uh, the the Bible. Bible is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, movies is to Andrew. Movies is with the yeah. Bible. Marvel. Marvel is to Andrew. <laughs> no, movies in general, and of which Marvel occupate occupate. Ugh, Marvel whatever. is like the pseudepigraphia. Ugh. You can look that up. I will not. I'll have to. <laughs> anyway, this is a just nice little thing about Michelle Monaghan talking about why she loved working with Tom Cruise, and you know I'm thinking about not reading oh, it nice. now because you've been such a friggin' no, jerk. I need to I, hear this. I would love to hear what it is because she's very pretty, and pretty okay, people yeah. have important All right, Mike. things to say. All right, Mike, I will tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, she says there's no one like him. He really is among the best of the best. And speaking of learning on the job, I feel like that that's been my career with every role. It's like acting 101, acting 202. I've been so blessed to work with so many talented people, and he's definitely someone who I look up to and enjoy getting to work with every time we hit the screen together. He is someone who truly, truly connects with you as an actor, as a person, and really draws out an incredible performance. I think that they are great together. They really are. Yeah, she said, um, I don't know if I've ever worked with an actor that I've been more connected to in the moment. That's than awesome. when I work with him. And when you're really, really in the zone. I think that's something you take into the jobs that come next. With every scene, you see what that kind of connection elicits, which is a great performance between the two of you. That's probably why she was like the only likable thing about Pixels. She she that she had to bring it. she had to bring that to Adam Sandler when he was giving her <laughs> nothing <laughs> to work. Did, did Pixels <laughs> come out bef- after Ghost Protocol? Well, but it definitely Pixels came was. out after Mission Impossible 3, bitch. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> hey, was, why are we Pixels? fighting? I don't like this. This is, this is starting to be, this is upsetting me. I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. Calm down, Kit. You're hurting Andrew's feelings. <laughs> All right. Oh, I do have a little bit of cruise news, I guess. Okay. Uh, Steve, as I mentioned, I hung out with him this last weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hung out for eight hours. Wow. But, um, it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, but he said that he listened to an episode of the podcast and he chose, I don't know why, but he chose to listen to cocktail and he said he liked that episode. Okay. This is, that's good. I'm glad he liked it. This is distressing because one of my friends was on a road trip and he's like, Oh, I listened to like an episode of your podcast and he chose mission impossible three, which is (laughs) where we lost a bunch of like audio. I'm like, cocktails, cocktails, a fine app, but it's like not a good movie. And I'm like, damn it. People just like the we we I told you guys we should have just done a Tom Cruise podcast. So. But then he he did you told us that okay. But then he did make a a uh, he had like a viewing party to watch Mission Impossible three. So that was good. It made him want to watch okay. it. I guess that rules. Nice. Yeah. Um. All right. That's it. That's it. Thank you for joining us tonight, folks. But wait, Mike. please join us. In, what is it, Andrew? I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go eat dinner with my wife. I know, but the listeners. Mike, you don't have a wife. <laughs> Doesn't it sound weird? I, I like to say that because it just seems weird to say that I have He's a wife. He's talking about a sack of potatoes that he put a hat on. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about my virtual reality on sex it. software. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's like moaning and stuff and he's just like, baby, I love you. Um, uh, anyway. Um, That's my wife, you son of a bitch. I digress. My, 
Mike, what are we going to be talking about next week? The listeners want to know. Uh, we are doing uh, Billy Elliot. Oh, okay. You're saying that like a question. Yeah. <laughs> well, was that the one that was next? Or yes, the, that's the next. Do we, do we have to? <laughs> no, I've never seen Billy Elliot. I'm kind of really. Wow. Oh, okay. yeah. You like Babe, go, but you've never Let's seen Billy it. Elliot, which doesn't make sense really as a sentence for me to be saying, but somehow in my mind, that's shocking to me. It yeah. was a big movie you know, when it came out. Right. And to me, that is in the same. And I know I'm sure that Billy Elliot is probably better, but it's in that same sort of space as uh, Full Monty. Yes. Whale Rider and My Big Fat Greek Wedding as these movies that were kind of like hmm. indie sensations that I just never saw, even though Full, I like Mo- Full Monty, you are correct, but it's way less um, like of a I don't know self-consciously quirky movie than than the yeah, full monty like it's, sure. it's right. more it's well, more emotional for sure yeah and not so much that i think that billy elliott is like those movies but it's like those movies were all these like really big indie sleeper hits yes and then it's like oh you've never seen whale rider you've never seen full monty or you know whatever i mean nobody yeah. says that anymore nobody even remembers those movies but uh, yeah. i do you um, should watch the whale rider it's really good yeah and you know what's Keisha weird? i worked at a movie theater what's that <laughs> Keisha castle hughes is that the lady in it i think so Okay. I hope so. Uh, Cliff Cliff Curtis is in it. We love Cliff Curtis around here. Okay. I love Cliff. Hey, I've got Mimic on VHS here. I just saw that. Oh, that's sick, dude. Tonight. If you want to stick around after the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm good. All right. Uh, so yeah, join us next week for, I think, 2001, 2002 was Billy Elliot. Mm, and... 2000. 2000, okay. Uh, slow motion triple feature was recorded in beautiful Monte Carlo. Special thanks to our producer Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you would like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com. Hooray for-